The Enuma Elish is the Babylonian creation myth from around about the 17th century BC. As described by Encyclopedia Britannica, the Babylonian creation epic Enuma Elish, when on high, states that at first there existed only the male, Apsu, and female, Tiamat, gods of the deep. They raised a family of gods that were so unruly that Apsu resolved to destroy them. Rebellion and chaos ensued. Among the deities was Marduk, the god of Babylon. Tiamat, who had embarked on a course of destruction, was slain by Marduk, who cut her in two and used her carcass to create the universe. Out of half her body he fashioned the sky containing the heavenly bodies to mark the periods of time. The epic culminates in the glorification of Marduk and the establishment of his order. The Enuma Elish was read on the New Year festival at Babylon to re-establish order in accordance with sympathetic transference principles by reciting Marduk's creation. Here are the opening lines of Enuma Elish. When on high heaven was not named, and the earth beneath did not yet bear a name, and the primeval Apsu who begat them, and Chaos, Tiamat, the mother of them both, their waters were mingled together, and no field was formed, no marsh was to be seen, when of the gods none had been called into being, and none bore a name, and no destinies were ordained, then were created the gods in the midst of heaven. Well, in popular culture, to call something mythology or a myth is to dismiss it as a, a false story. But as an academic term, mythology doesn't carry this negative meaning. As Egyptologist James K. Hoffmeyer writes, myth, in the technical sense, is concerned with ultimate realities, not fiction. Philosopher and theologian William Lane Craig notes that whereas 19th century scholars uh, looked at ancient creation myths as a, a sort of crude proto-science, contemporary scholars tend more to the view that such stories were taken figuratively, not literally, by the people who told them. Creation myths certainly don't map neatly onto modern concepts of scientific description or explanation, but they can't be dismissed as falsified proto-science. Robert A. Segal, Chair in Religious Studies at the University of Aberdeen, says that myths serve as guides to the world, rather than as depictions of the world. By analogy, the abstract London underground train map reliably guides people through London's underground train system, 
but without being a scientifically accurate depiction of the underground system. We can't dismiss the London Underground map simply because it's not in 3D, because the stations along a line aren't really found at equal distances from each other, or because the central line isn't actually red. In similar way, a creation myth is a story that aims to help people navigate their lives within a world view. As such, a creation myth articulates truth claims that can be critically assessed by philosophical argument, if not scientific investigation, once we distinguish the world view from the figurative language in which it is expressed. By analogy, the central line does go through central London, and the stations either side of Blackfriars are indeed Temple and Mansion House. To return to the Enuma Elish, we can see that at a worldview level it's claiming that ultimate reality is fundamentally plural, that ultimate reality was personal, or at least had a, a personal aspect in the figures of Apsu and Tiamat, that male and female are fundamental realities, that gods are ethically similar to humans being unruly and rebellious, scheming and so on. That creation, cosmic order and cosmic chaos come from the union of male and female gods and from murderous conflict between gods. That the physical cosmos was created by design but by repurposing a pre-existing reality and that cosmic order is fragile and codependent upon humans. Christian astrophysicist and minister David Wilkinson writes that when we recognise that the Bible's teaching is contained in a particular cultural setting and uses different literary styles, we should pay careful attention to what the Bible is actually saying rather than what we would like it to say. Over many years of struggle and delight with the first chapter of Genesis, the text itself forces me to recognise that it is not a science textbook, but something more profound. As the early church father Oregon of Alexandra wrote, what person of intelligence, I ask, will consider as a reasonable statement that the first and the second and the third day, in which there are said to be both morning and evening, existed without sun and moon and stars, while the first day was even without heaven? I do not think anyone will doubt that these are figurative expressions which indicate certain mysteries through a semblance of history.
contemporary theologian Tremper Longman III says that the biblical creation narratives clearly have a theological and not a scientific interest. The creation accounts use a high degree of figurative language. And theologian Bruce K. Waltke argues that if by the word myth one means an ideology that explains the cosmos, then the Genesis account of creation is a myth. In this sense, myth addresses those metaphysical concerns that cannot be known by scientific discovery. Given the popular meaning of the term myth, theologian Gordon J. Wenham thinks that it's prudent to avoid the term when describing, say, Genesis 1 to 11. He writes, I prefer to describe Genesis 1 to 11 as proto-history. It is not ordinary history. It is not fiction. Proto-history shares with both these genres the aim of imparting an interpretation of the world as we experience it. But whereas history could be described as a, a photograph of the past, proto-history, uh, that is really you know, myth, uh, is akin to a portrait of the past. Following Wenham, uh, we can illustrate this distinction by comparing a, a scientific chart of the night sky with Van Gogh's painting Starry Night. The chart and the painting, which you can see here on the slide if you're watching the video rather than listening to the audio, both reference the very same sky, but they obviously reference it in rather different ways. Although Christians disagree about the extent of the truth claims in the biblical creation material, including Genesis 1 to 2, 3, Psalm 104, John 1, 1 to 3, 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6 and Colossians 1 verses 16 to 17, there's clearly a core of worldview claims which Christians can recognise together. That is, Christians can agree on the doctrine of creation whilst disagreeing over different models of creation. Christians can agree that God created, which is in the creeds, but hold different views about how God created, which isn't in the creeds. And this how question is a very hard interdisciplinary question involving such subjects as linguistics, hermeneutics, theology, philosophy, cosmology, geology, biology, etc, etc. To return to David Wilkinson, he writes that remembering all of this should be a caution to humility. We can hold to the infallibility of the Bible whilst acknowledging our interpretation of it is fallible. <laughs>